for me, yeah. it's a required for survival. It's required for mental and physical health. If you don't act on your values, if you believe in something and you continuously do something that is against your values, you will get sick, quite literally. So it's a necessity of your personal survival, not just a nice to have, it's a must have. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone and you don't have to wait for others. Nadia indulged me in taking this podcast in new directions. Listeners have said they'd like to hear more of the human side of things, not too many perfect pictures of things. Now, I don't think I've given perfect pictures of things in having guests share their experiences. But before recording this conversation, we talked about the differences between celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising and living in Greenwich Village in Manhattan, basically right around the corner from Stonewall. It's been all over the place. And the 50th anniversary of Walking on the Moon, which is in, a, in a several weeks. And I've seen virtually no representation of it. So I'd hoped to connect what I saw as a gaping lack of leadership in the environment to the leadership in the Walking on the Moon. As I see it, the opportunity for the nation and the world to approach environmental action as it did reaching the moon, I think that's one of the great opportunities of our species and each one of us to act as part of something greater than any one of us and something greater than all of us, benefiting all of us, including each one of us as individuals. So far, the mainstream view is to see acting on the environment as a chore. And I think leadership is the main lack was missing that would overcome that gap. So Nadia and I ended up speaking about other things misunderstanding each other for about half the conversation, talking past each other. And it wasn't my intent, but conversations like this happen all the time. I don't know if you'll find it entertaining, tragic, illuminating, or what. It was certainly frustrating in the moment, but we both engaged not to annoy, but to understand each other. By the end, we didn't wrap everything up, but I think we'll avoid that type of misunderstanding again. And I hope that you guys hearing it get to see that this is the type of conversation that happens all the time. Anyway, here it is. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Nadia Jixenbaeva. How are you doing? Perfect. I'm very happy to be back. And part of me wants to hear how the picking up trash has gone and if you've organized an event. But before that, or we were talking just before recording about how several things, but one of them is that yesterday was uh, the Pride Parade in Manhattan. And that was the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. In a few weeks will be the 50th anniversary of the lunar landing. Big, all these 50th anniversaries. Also the 48th anniversary of me, it being my birthday, July 20th. And we're, you saw the lunar stuff, the space race from the other side of the Iron Curtain. And we were kind of talking about, okay, certainly lower Manhattan. I'm a, a block away from Stonewall, which is where the uprising began. And so I'm in like ground zero of where the epicenter of all this stuff going on. I've seen nothing about the lunar landing. <laughs> And so I mentioned that to you, and you were saying how what the lunar landing was, and not just the lunar landing, but the whole space race. It brought everyone, what was it like from your memories of it? I mean, it's now decades ago. What was the space race? Like, you were saying why, why people would be more active in the pride stuff than in the space race. You know, 50th anniversary of two things. One is everywhere, and the other is, I haven't been to Houston or or Florida, where it's probably bigger, but it seems not as big. Like, why the difference? And you had some ideas about that. Well, my thought was that we as human beings are, generally speaking, uh, short-term oriented and concentrated on things that have immediate impact on our lives. And the moment of the space race, so the most important moments, the first circle around the earth by Galarian and the Soviet Union, the first lunar landing by the U.S. team. Um, those moments were personal. They were not just um, something that government does. This is directly related to each person 
in both the pragmatic things, because all of the efforts in space development actually created a rush of scientific discoveries and breakthroughs and growth of focus on STEM education, the science and technology, engineering, math. It created a, a completely different respect for science as a profession that I don't think we had before. And a lot of the everyday benefits that we get today happen because we have space programs. So satellites make a lot of our everyday life uh, much more convenient and we take it for granted today. But at that moment, it was personal, more than pragmatic. It was also personal in terms of your sense of hope and identity and vision of where the world is going and what are the possibilities and so on. Unfortunately, when it comes to human rights, whichever aspect of human rights we take, whether it's the LGBTQ community, whether it's um, uh, women's rights, whether it's any religious rights, freedom of religion, from religion rights, whatever human rights we, we talk to or talk about, we are not there yet universally as we're universal. I think universally, every person on planet Earth is benefiting from space advancements one way or another with or without realization. Unfortunately, not every person on planet Earth are benefiting from advancements in human rights. So there is a different urgency and immediacy, I would assume, why there is a difference in celebrations or lack thereof. Well, all of what you said could point to, if we got a lot from the space race, then that would say that we would want to celebrate it. Although the U.S. isn't really in it right now. There are private corporations that are doing it. The government isn't really doing it. It's hard not to think of Kennedy, you know, obviously Kennedy's big speech in America, it was a big, you know, we choose to do these things because they're hard, not because they're easy. And what you said could have said why the space race would be important. We've gotten a lot from it. Why not do it more? But I guess you're saying that the there's a direct personal benefit to people pushing for rights that they don't have, whereas in the space race, that was in the past. We've gotten the benefits. There aren't more, we don't anticipate more benefits coming from it. From a scientific perspective, there's not a lot to get from going on the moon. From an engineering perspective, you could say we could try to build a colony there. But that's really, really hard, and it's not obvious what the benefit would be. And it still doesn't point out to me why there's been... I mean, in in my world, in lower Manhattan, I've seen zero mention of no public anything about the lunar landing. And maybe everyone was waiting until after the pride stuff that they could start doing the lunar stuff. But that remains to be seen. I guess I'll go out today and find out. (laughs) <laughs> it's a question mark of back circling back to issue of leadership and who is leading uh, and what does leadership as a process look like in society and between societies today? How do we define the agenda of what matters to us? Who defines that agenda? Who, how do we create a platform where that discussion can happen? I live in Ohio uh, this is a rural community in Delaware County. County People don't talk to each other who don't agree. Those who agree in one point of priorities talk to each other and those who agree on other points talk to each other. In between, there's an almost zero interaction that happens. So how do we create the space in which we can talk to each other and define priorities? So just judging by the surface, it's just not a priority. What made me want to record this conversation is that I was thinking a country coming together from what I saw from our side, from what I saw on America's side, a country came together and really supported this uh, technological advancement, scientific to somewhat scientific advancement. And this, this is absent right now. I believe it's completely attainable and totally absent. There's zero leadership in the area of the environment, as far as, I see, as far as I can tell. It's certainly not coming from the White House or any part of the federal government. It's certainly not coming from any state governments. I mean, maybe here and there, like what is being done in comparison to what could be done is so trivially small and often counterproductive that to call it zeros is maybe even more than what it deserves. Because the, if, we, I mean, if we did net leadership in terms of how much we're influencing people to help improve the planet's ability to sustain life and, and human society, the net amount is probably is negative. I mean, I would say, because there's so many people pushing for things that are counterproductive that they think are effective and they're not. And so, okay, so 
there's zero. The reason I did the Leadership in the Environment podcast is because I think that leadership is what's missing. I think everybody would love to be on board with the environment the way that they were with a space race. And they want it. They, they crave it. And without leadership, it's difficult to get it to happen. But the rewards on an individual level, all the way up to the entire social, national, global level, are overwhelming, especially compared to what would happen otherwise. So when I, what made me want to record this was that the, when I look at the lack of attention to the space race, or the 50th anniversary of the lunar landing, at least so far in Manhattan, I could have done that. I could have been making that connection between the United States coming together as a nation to make this great feat that everyone knew, no, not everyone knew could be done, but had a sense it could be done. But we know with the environment that we can do this. I mean, but no one's doing it. I mean, everyone knows it could be done, but they just want someone else to institute carbon taxes or someone else to make it illegal to get plastic bags. And until then, they're going to still get the plastic bags, which is mystifying to me. I'm with you completely in terms of the desire or the lack of the, the desire to push it somewhere else or lack of personal responsibility. At the same time, I do want to be compassionate to where people are. This is a particularly special moment that I think we live in. I don't want to compare it to other moments in history. I'm sure right after Second World War, all across Europe, it was not the pretty sight. And trying to figure out how to recover and move forward was a, a huge effort. What I can say is that it is a very intense period of history. We're seeing breakdown across every point of every pillar of civilization. It's environmental breakdown, but also we have social breakdown in terms of understanding what society is and who we are to each other as one society. Uh, we have political breakdown of every kind across many, many, many countries. Most countries are in some sort of extreme polarization when it comes to politics. We have stresses on our monetary system, and I would anticipate a massive monetary system breakdown in the near future. We are anticipating the next economic recession anytime soon because, well, it's long overdue. So every kind of stress you can imagine is in the system. And I want to feel compassion for every one of us who is trying to figure out, okay, where do I put my personal attention right now? Our education system is collapsing clearly all across the board. There's almost no countries with very few exceptions where there's anything massively new happening with education. So we keep educating kids as if it's, 1902, when most of the public education was envisioned in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it's it's a mess. So I have to be super, super empathetic, also super honest with the progress that is being made. So think about US and where we got with the discussion of climate change and the Green New Deal just in the last year. This was a laughable idea when it was mentioned. It is now part of at least Democratic candidates' agenda, whether they like it or not. They have to state a position. Just because the announcement was made that there is a vision of a Green New Deal, everyone has to say yes or no. But And they don't all support it by far. But the fact of forcing yourself to announce your position creates a completely different relationship to the new generation for whom this is the defining issue. And... Look at the first cities that are banning plastic bags. It is happening. San Francisco, New York announced. We are seeing progress. It's just probably not at the scale that is necessary looking at the data, whether it's a data on water, data on climate, data on plastic in our supply and food chains, data on agriculture and on and on and on. So sorry to interrupt, but I still would not qualify any of that as leadership. I would call it management at best. I mean, yeah, but banning plastic bags is so late and so minimal. Yeah, of course, if, it, if little thing, I don't want to discount these things, but there's zero leadership. There's zero, and you're talking about very broad things. I want to talk about very specific things of like, I'm realizing that the connection from the lunar, the lunar landing to this, to let's just say cleaning the air, water, and land is so obvious and so clear to be made. And I'm not doing it. And what's hitting, one of the things I've been putting out to people lately is if I, like the podcast, I think I've, I've had these wonderful world-renowned speakers and, and guests, and 
now I know that I can, that there are people out there who really want to do this. And my experience, and we'll see how, it, how it's been with you t- taking on your challenge, is that people really like doing these things. And, you know, my long-term goal with a podcast is like someone like Oprah to be, you know, she's very influential. People like to, and, and she's very emotive. And it's for her to share her environmental values, for her to go through a change and share her experiences, I think that would lead a lot of people, make a lot of people feel comfortable doing those things. That would be leadership. I'd like to make that happen. Something, and, and I believe that I'm on a path to make that happen. And not just Oprah. You know, there's like LeBron and Serena and Madonna and all these like very famous people who are currently doing nothing. Or whatever they're doing, it's not making it out to the world. Like they're not sharing it openly. And if they did, people, I think, would say, finally, someone I can follow. And I want to make that possible. Now, I think also I want to bring my, this, this message out beyond a podcast. Podcasts are great. I mean, one thing would be if it made it to NPR or some other place that like, has more people listening. If I had a message and I was a stand-up comedian, there's a circuit I could go to. If I was a singer, there's a circuit I could go to. If I was an actor, if I had a, a purely corporate message, well, I do, but that's a separate thing. Then I can go to corporations. But in terms of going to the public with this message, it's not obvious And if it was religious, there's certainly churches and synagogues and places, but it's not. So it's not obvious to me, where would this message come out? How do I make this, share it with the public? Is it, I mean, the TEDx talk is something. I don't know, does anything come to mind to you? Well, I have a different definition of leadership. For me, I look at leadership as I look at a healthy nervous system. So for me, leadership is not about having one big brain, like Oprah, and then everyone follows. I think every single nerve cell together creates a nervous system. And the cell in my finger, the nervous system cell that creates an information to my brain that I'm bleeding can have a life-threatening and life-changing impact on my entire body, whether it's working or not. There are people who have nerve disorders where they do not recognize that they're bleeding and they can die from a cut to a finger because the cells on the finger, which are not considered super smart cells in quotation marks, they are not brain cells, but they have a life-threatening opportunity to change the system and they are leaders in the moment of that situation. So I look at leadership as a distributed nervous system. And in that sense, what is happening to the world for me is leadership. So I'll give you specific examples. We worked with a wonderful company, um, that went through many challenges and has made many mistakes very openly in in public eye that is in the most polluting industry you can imagine, mining industry. Company name is ERG, Eurasian Resource Group. And uh, of course, as any company, they are pressured to grow, to produce more revenues and more profits. And I'm so incredibly proud of a project that has little to do with what you would call leadership because They're not running around speaking about it anywhere, but the company significantly increased its profitability by doing pretty much a recycling project. They have an asset in Congo where they discovered that the previous owner dumped all of the waste from the mining. It's called tailings. That's the technical term. Dumped all the tailings into the local river. So they polluted the river, made it difficult for the local community. And it's a horrible environmental site. The company, of course, could have just cleaned it, but through an effort of recognizing the value in the tailings, they actually extracting additional metals that the previous owner considered waste. And they're making tons of money cleaning the river, recycling, don't making any new mining efforts. There is no actual overburden. Nothing is taken out of the earth, giving jobs for local community, creating support for local education and other efforts. And they turned it all into a project called ethical cobalt, clean cobalt, because so much of the cobalt is done by child labor and through uh, illegal mining. And this is a completely transparent system of getting cobalt into your iPhone or into your computer. Is that leadership? The company doesn't speak about it, but they have one change, one choice. Instead of mining virgin ore, mining waste makes tremendous impact across every kind of parameter. I'm sorry, but I, I don't see that. It, not polluting, they, someone polluted before. And so now instead of continuing to pollute, they're not polluting. They're cleaning up. 
That's the same as me cleaning up waste, picking up waste. They're actually taking somebody else's dump and cleaning it while simultaneously producing revenue stream out of it. The pattern that you're describing is the exact same pattern that Western, that we've been doing since at least the Watt steam engine. It's systemically no different from what we've been doing. It is different in a sense that it starts the chain of actions and the mindset change. You cannot, this is not a revolution. You cannot break people. You have to evolve them. You have to help them get through the stages of development so that they can develop mindsets and tools and muscles to deal with the challenge that they're facing. The earth is in very difficult situation and human beings are in a particular struggling pickle. They have no ability to jump over the head. They have to be helped to develop the skills and the mindsets change that got them into the mess for the first time. What else are you going to do to them? Yeah, I don't think that that's happening. I don't think that the example you gave is doing that. I think that it's the same mindset. How can we profit off of the resources that are around us? And they're still growing. In terms of reduce, reuse, recycle, they're still reusing and recycling at the expense of reducing. But reduce is strategic and reusing and recycling are tactical. They're, they're doing something tactical that's undermining the, the, the strategy. I don't agree with you. I think if we are building a circular economy, the issue of reduction is not there. You can use the same molecule in different amount of times. The issue is going from linear to circular. Absolutely. This company is making a step towards circular, not linear. Instead of mining new, is turning waste into food continuously across the entire life cycle. The moment you create a circle economy, you can use the same molecule indefinitely. So there is no waste in the system and there is no issue of constantly trying to fight and limit yourself across the growth, especially because most of the growth today can happen from experience, not from things. We so can I'm, create- I'm very influenced by some stuff. There, circular economy is a nice term, but it's not, there's some things that you can recycle indefinitely, but not everything. And you need inputs and there are always outputs that are not circularable, loopable or whatever. It's a fiction that's nice for people to have, and we can approach more and more efficient, but none of this is reduction. So what do you suggest? Let's kill a big percentage of population. Uh, I mean, we are overpopulated. Did I say anything? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay, I got to address that because everyone's thinking that. Okay, a lot of people think if we're not growing, then we must want two things. One, for most people to commit suicide, and the people who remain, we want them to go back to living in the Stone Age. And this is a false dichotomy. This is a, a straw man. This is an ignorant. This is like, no one, no one believes this. And yet everyone, if you don't think about it, if you, all you think about is growth, then anything other than that, you have, you have this comic picture of it and you can only think in, in the most simplistic terms. And that's what everyone does. Uh, I don't agree. I was at a very scientific conference in May. And a most respected scientist who studies whales was speaking about population control and population limitations because that is an objective reality. Of whales he or was people? not No, humans. He was not speaking about killing them. He was speaking about two simple solutions that worked in every country where there's okay, okay, population okay, okay, okay. control. Yeah, yeah. The people who know what they're talking about, I'm sorry, I spoke to glibly. The average person on the street, if you read them, like the, the, most, the most common voices, they have not had an experience of what it means to lower the population. Of course, people die. We're all going to die. Sorry to break it to anyone if you didn't know, but we're all going to die. And so you don't have to do anything to lower the population in terms of like, we're all going to die at some point. So you simply lower the population growth. You don't have to go around killing people. But a lot of people think that. A lot of people think if you say we have to lower the population, what, you're talking about euthanasia or something? And yes, there are people speaking knowledgeably about it. Okay, so I should go into the mode not of speaking loosely, but I should speak very precisely because if I speak imprecisely, then it can be very easily misinterpreted. But if if we're above the carrying capacity of the planet and we stay there and and we can do that because we're using non-renewable resources to to sustain ourselves, then once those resources run out or it becomes too polluting, it becomes becomes too polluting to use them, then whether we want to or not, the, the population is going to go down. It can be through pestilence, it can be through wars, it can be through running out of resources and, and, and famines and things like that. But whether we choose to or not, it seems to me that that will happen. If we choose to do it ourselves before those things happen, 
and there's very little time to do that, it seems on the scale of these things happening, then we can avoid people dying through suffering and it can simply, we simply lower the population by not having as many children. And educating girls, number one factor. All that you need to do is educate girls. Girls specifically, it's statistically valid. If you say educating girls, then what happens is NYU is like 60-40 female to male and it's still promoting, it's like, it's not promoting equality. It's promoting opportunities for, for girls and women. Because there's so much to compensate for. Educating girls in the developing world is the number one predictor of what will happen to the family, what will happen economically, what will happen in terms of their ability to survive disruptions, what will happen in terms of their number of children. That is the easiest uh, across all developing world, the easiest change that you can do to make the biggest impact on the environment and on the yeah, society. I, I guess I'm, I'm commenting on the language because I predict, let's get together in 10 years. And if we do this, then if we say, let's educate girls, then at some point we're going to have like very well-educated girls and boys who are, don't have education. Because if you make it, the, the end result of we have to keep educating girls is 100%. Uh, you need to I'm start get with a different baseline. Uh, in most of the world, Josh, I come from third world country. In most of the gr- world, girls are the ones who are not given chance to education. And the, here's two simple reasons of why. Of course, I know that. I know that. I know that. Very but what I'm saying reasons. is that if, if we, they if have we to make the goal water. educating girls, then that becomes the goal. This and is then- the same argument as Black Lives Matters. It is about educating girls because they're in a disadvantaged position. Once they get to the equal position, we can speak about equal issues of education. But if we have one group that is significantly disadvantaged than the other, we have to make an extra effort around that disadvantaged group. We have to. I- Okay, but we can say it that it has to be a priority. We can say that in gender neutral terms. We need to educate specifically one gender, comparing it in terms of the baseline where the girls are right now universally. You don't judge it by NYU. I'm sorry, NYU is not representative of 7.6 billion or however many we have right now in the world. Judge it by the statistics. So what's wrong with, what's wrong with putting it in gender neutral terms? Because it brings back the actual target. The target is to bring particular disadvantaged population to some sort of equal terms. Okay. So specifically, I would like, I'm talking about myself, specifically, I would like to make sure that a greater number of girls gets educated. And that is a priority because we are talking about catching up a significantly disadvantaged population significantly disadvantaged. Girls who are at the age of six can be given as a bride. Girls who are at the age five, six, or seven are forced to quit school or not allowed to go to school because they have to be the providers of water for the family and carry water back and forth from the source. Girls who are not allowed to go to school because they have periods and they have no pads. We're talking about massive disadvantage for millions, hundreds of millions of girls okay, compared I, I, to the boys. Yeah, I, I can give you, for every statistic you give me, I can give you two about exactly what you're saying. And, but I'm not saying that we shouldn't do these things. I'm saying that the way that we describe it, if we, goals have a way of sticking long after, uh, it is so off target. No, it's not. It's, this is about how do we choose a priority as a society? What are we trying to choose? So for me, Let's, let's compare it to my personal challenge, right? So my challenge was to make sure I pick up trash every day and create an event around cleaning. And I'm working with a company that is cleaning a whole river in Congo, massive cleanup. Mm-hmm. Where should I spend my energy? Here's uh, two options. Wait, are they exclusive? Are they, wait, are they exclusive or can you do both? Uh, occasionally I can do both, but most of the time, if I'm choosing a whole new set of targets, that means... I have only 24 hours a day. Something needs to get off the plate to add something new on the plate. So if I am in this particular case, I can combine the two, but I cannot add to the list indefinitely. And in my mind, my impact with ERG is incomparably bigger, incomparably, than my impact of picking trash once a day. Incomparably. Night and day, thousands and thousands of times of difference. Because here we're talking about massive amount of waste pulled out of a river. And here we're talking about me running around my neighborhood. I can give you a picture of my neighborhood. That was the biggest problem of my challenge. I don't leave my home for days and there's no trash around me. So running around the neighborhood trying to find one piece of trash 
comparing to what I can do at the scale of changing one design, one process, one decision of a massive corporation that impacts millions and millions of people around the world. So this does matter. It's not a target. It's, I have 24 hours a day. Eight of them, I'm hopefully sleeping. I have remaining 16 hours. I need to choose what do I spend those 16 hours on? And I cannot choose everything. I need to choose which action will produce the most benefit. And today, of all the actions that I'm choosing to focus on, one of them is educating girls because specifically girls, not universally, but specifically girls today is shown to have the most impact for me in, in my assessment of the data. I'm not sure what, what should I take away? I don't see the amount of time in a day determining what I see one's personal actions as augmenting one's living by one's values as augmenting one's ability to lead others, not as a split of time. And so if here's a study that's kind of remotely related, I don't know if it's closely related enough. Doctors gave advice on health and nutrition to uh, their patients. And in one group, the doctors, maybe it was on smoking. It was on smoking or diet. And in one group, the doctor was just speaking to them. On the other, in the other group, the doctor was speaking, but on the doctor's desk was like an apple and a bicycle helmet, indicating that they were eating healthy and exercising. And the effectiveness on the patients, I, somehow they measured, I have to look up the details, but somehow they measured how well the doctor's advice was taken. And same advice, but in one, there was a bicycle helmet and an apple, and the other, there was not. And it was tremendously more effective in the one with the bicycle helmet and the hat and the, and the apple. And I've been picking up a piece of trash per day for several years. I think the net time in a couple of years is probably on the order of a minute or two total, because it's just right in front of me. I just pick it up. So in my experience to describe something as either I could do this or I could do that is in my experience, it's not how it works for me. So it's, it, it doesn't fit with my experience. And of course, there are things that I do that take more time. And of course, there are trade-offs and things. But I think leadership without living by one's values, uh, I, I don't know. It's, uh, now I'm also thinking of like, how does it sound to the listeners? But I don't understand why is it not living by one's values? So which, which part of it shows that you are not? The fact that the company is cleaning up a river is not living by their values? If they are doing that, it's not living, they should just keep going with the mining the way they used to be mining before, which in this example for you is violating the effort to do something better. Is it perfect? Nothing. There is not a single organizational human being on planet Earth. No, no, no. no. I'm not talking about perfection. Yeah, yeah. Not, let's let's, let's, let's take, take perfection off the table because that's a straw man. And everyone's always like, Josh, I'm not perfect. Go, hey. And I've never, ever implied that perfection is, is, is the thing. So sorry to react. a company, they had an option of mining in a traditional way, which is in most cases, and if your dear listeners don't know, it's not uh, digging into the earth. It's blowing it up with explosives. That's how most of mining is done uh, aside from oil. I won't speak about oil and gas, but if we talk about mining of minerals and metals, most of it is done through explosives. So here's a company that had an option, keep going with virgin mining as explosives or do not do any explosive, no virgin mining, do not touch earth, take a polluted river that you didn't pollute yourself, a previous owner did, and clean it up and mine stuff out of the waste. For me, that's a huge example of leadership, personal values, professional values, and actually showing to the industry what can be done. Which in that, for you, what, what is violated here? What is not leaving the values? We're all over the place because I, I was really talking about one's personal behavior, not that. So that, I, I don't know enough about that to say. I, I can't say. That's a personal behavior, let's say, of, this is my personal behavior. I'm involved in that project, right? So I'm choosing to engage in that. That's my personal behavior. I support you for you doing what you believe is right. That's all I can say. I, I can't evaluate and put labels on things that I don't really know about. And what I'm about is trying to help people, individuals that hear my voice, that meet me, to choose for themselves what they can do, because that's all that they can do is their own behavior. Now, hopefully some of them will, most of them will probably say, well, I can't do anything and I guess I'll just do what, I, what I've been doing. And that's the predominant thing that I think roughly seven and a half billion people are doing. Some, I think, will say, maybe there is something I can do. And I think that the best 
the best way that I know to get to help people along that path is for them to do something to experience what they're not doing based on their, what they think for themselves, what they want to do for themselves, what impact they make. So you're talking about some other company that's outside of the realm of my focus is. But uh, what I'm trying to say, the decisions are made in that company by the same people who listen to your podcast, the same people who sit with me in meetings. Yeah, so so in these are case, real human beings and they case, are making decisions that are personal. They have a choice as a human being and they make a different choice. That's the same transformation. It's just they have maybe a slightly bigger impact in their professional life than they have in their personal life, and they choose to apply the impact there. But it's real. It's not an abstract. Yeah, I think that the best way for them, the best way that I can influence decisions like that is by helping people to, people to make those decisions themselves on a small scale personally for themselves, and then they learn to do those things. I mean, I'm very strongly influenced by an experience that I had with a, a coaching client who worked at one of the big oil companies. And I wasn't even, I was just coaching him on leadership. I would just, you know, before and after the call, the official timing part of the call, we'd just chat about life because we became friends. And just, I would talk to him about, you know, I throw in my garbage very infrequently, uh, sorry, frequently to me, which is still less than once a year, but frequent, very infrequently compared to the average American. And one day he said, you know, Josh, I haven't thrown out my garbage for like three months or something like that. And that came from me, right? So, I'm like, that's kind of cool. I wanted to help him out with that. I, didn't, I wasn't coaching him in that area. It wasn't environmental leadership coaching. It was just leadership coaching. But then a couple, uh, some, I don't know, months later, he's like, you know, I made decisions for the Latin America group based on that, what I learned from that experience. And I believe that people doing things like picking up garbage, I'm sorry, let me be more precise. When people do things, when people share what the environment means to them and they act based on their, what's meaningful and what they care about, then they develop the skills to be sensitive to when the opportunities are in the rest of life. And they develop the skills to do these things. And then they do these things. So I'm trying to, I'm giving people, to me, it's like giving people scales, training wheels, so that they can learn to do these things on a small scale so that then they can do them on a bigger scale later. That's what I work on. So where these things apply, I don't know. That's, I hope that there's like a lot of people listening to this podcast who figure those things out. But for me to evaluate those things is like, I don't know the details, if you think it's right, great, but I want to enable you and everyone, if that's the right thing to do, great. I want to inv- enable you to do those things more and to frame it as, as, see, if you didn't want to pick up garbage and it was taken away from your life, then I would hope that then I'd like to work with you to see if there is something that would work with your life that would not detract from your life, that would give you more energy, that would give you more time, that would save you money, that would, you know, because that's been my experience is that people can't find those things. So let me speak about my personal challenge and my personal results so far. So as you remember from our first uh, podcast, I am not a usual case, right? So I've been in environmental studies and wrote tons of books on sustainability and work with companies since 2001. And in that sense, my personal life is heavily impacted by my professional life and the other way around. I already had very, very little garbage in my life. I already don't have a a car. I don't drive a car. So I cannot give up driving a car because I don't have one. I already don't buy stuff um, much of anything because I can use the same stuff all over. And I try to use stuff that is heavily high quality that can be repaired. I already repair almost everything I can repair. I don't throw out high electronic equipment, I repair it, I use, I don't change phones, I don't. So the starting, the baseline is very different. So when I was looking at the challenge, what I can do, I wanted to choose a challenge that will uh, increase my daily mindfulness, that would keep something on my mind on a more regular basis, the way I do exercise, the way I do meditation and so on. Can I anchor it somehow? And I also wanted to connect to my daughter around it. What I didn't recognize is that my lifestyle means that I would, I'm, I don't live in New York City. I live in a rural suburbia and I work at home, right? So a lot, if I don't fly, where I have really big challenge in terms of my impact on the environment is flying, but I'm reducing that significantly in the last two years and even more so in the future. So if I don't fly, I don't have an office. I don't see point of renting an office, heating and cooling, producing CO2 emissions, producing pollutions, if I can do the same work at home. So I don't have an office, I work at home. 
I don't drive anywhere. I don't have a car and I don't pollute. So I don't have trash around me. So my biggest challenge, what we recognize, and in the beginning we were taking pictures and I would find piece of trash only when I would exit. I would drive somewhere with my husband or with Uber or with anything else uh, to pick up trash. So I would have five days, no trash because there is literally no trash around us. And then I would drive to pick up groceries and I would find 10 pieces of trash and photograph it for myself to remind myself that this is, this is something that still matters. What it transformed into in an interesting way is that we started actively looking for even more places where we can reduce trash that we generate, that it doesn't end up on the streets, that any way is getting recycled, but reduce even that. So simple things like replacing all the straws to metal straws that we now carry with ourselves. So if my family is getting somewhere, so on the weekend we go to yoga and after yoga we go to get a, a smoothie. We just bring now everything with us. We used to use their straws. Now we bought our own straws that we wash and bring. Clothes. We went through all the clothes in my daughter and I have. And instead of buying her new clothes, we share more clothes over the last two weeks, we went through a massive audit of all clothes because she wanted to buy some new stuff. And I said, how about we just share more of stuff that we have already? Can we pull out everything that we can both wear? And you're going on a trip. Uh, can you please choose from my clothes instead of buying new clothes? But that's what we transformed to me is that when I started with the challenge, I should have thought, is there any trash to pick up? Let's start with that. And Currently, there is none. And then we had a big plan to clean up the local park where we go for a run. And the park rangers created a cleanup system. So by the time we organized it right after graduation, it was a completely clean park. So it shows you also the inequality when it comes to environmental agenda. I can give you pictures of my neighborhood. You won't find a single piece of trash you can give me pictures of New York City and I can point trash right in your picture. So it's also for me was a big question for myself. Why was I asking what should I spend my time on? It was a question of can I be more selective and mindful when I'm putting a goal on myself that that goal actually is rounded and grounded on in the context, significantly grounded in the context that is really, really rooted in the context that I was in. I got excited about picking up trash because I listened to a few of your podcasts. I forgot to ask myself, do I have trash to pick up anywhere in my normal life? And the reality is, unless I am somewhere far, far away from home, there is none. So it sounds like you've thought about it. And okay, so then what happened? Or what did you think about? Or how, how did you feel? What happened is it's a question for us as a family to find even more ways. Not, it's not about not picking up. It's not about picking up trash. There's no trash to pick up. Pick up. It's about not generating trash even in a, in a sidekick story. So can we think about uh, more reusable containers for our pills when we travel? Can we buy pills in bulk? Are there vitamins that are sold in bulk? That's the kind of questions that got generated. Can we not use straws? Can we carry them with us? Can we be the people who make sure trash is not there to pick up at all by ourselves or by somebody else? Because it's, it's eliminated from the process. It's all reused. And it, it is still a struggle. For example, we travel. That's our biggest CO2 emissions impact. We travel as a family. We travel, I travel individually for business a lot. So how can I, what are pragmatic things I can do? One, to reduce travel. Two, to offset travel that I have to make. Three, to find a way to travel. For example, I usually fly across Europe. This time I took a train across Europe. So I, instead of flying from cities inside Europe, I just to take a train. Stuff like that. Can I prevent things rather than fix them once they're already on the ground and I need to pick them up? That was the change in the evolution, I think, in the last two months or so. That seems like a lot to come from. It's hard for me to believe that that all came from just the picking up trash because a lot of, I mean, it was building on a foundation of you had having already applied this to most of your life. But did all that come from just from? No, it's part, you see, Picking up trash is a good, it's like 
the opera that we mentioned today uh, has a, every few months a special called 21 Day Meditation Challenge. And I meditate for decades, mm-hmm. but I still sign up for this challenge because one, I need a new and fresh content um, because you get into routine, even with meditation, which is all about not into getting and be mindful of every second, not getting into routine, but I still get into routine. So I need a fresh new content. Number two, there is a different kind of mindfulness and discipline if you bound it by those 21 days. And why it's 21 days? Because statistically speaking, that's how long it takes for you to develop a new habit. So for me, why I wanted to do picking up trash because it was the same thing. I already do a lot. It's like I already meditate. I already do a lot. How can I force myself to either look at it slightly different or find a new angle or a new content or engage new people. For example, engage my daughter more than I engage her normally. So for that point of view, it was like, there is a strong foundation. And on top of that, I am trying to use it to generate something new, to generate new questions for myself, for my family, for my business, for my clients. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Okay, so you didn't get to pick up as much trash as you wanted, but it led to this other type of thinking that seems in in tune with why you've been meditating for years. And it gave you a different approach to something. I'm reading, correct me if I'm wrong, that this was that you would describe this as a positive experience. Absolutely. I mean, also, I wanted to count how many pieces of trash can I pick up. So I asked my family to take pictures every time we grab a trash. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that the family had to stop and take a picture and pay attention to this activity naturally created a room for conversation, right? So... My daughter snaps a picture of me picking up trash when we went for shopping for some groceries. And she asked me, why do I do this? So we have a conversation about it. Of course, it's a positive experience because it gives you an excuse or a reason or a hook to bring things into life that you might have not brought otherwise. Then what were you saying before about if you have a choice between helping the mining company or picking up trash, you're presenting it. What I'm hearing now is that this is augmenting family time. This is connecting you with the, your community and your family and helping you develop as, as in the way that meditation helps you develop, you know, obviously unique. But, but now you're not presenting it as something that's detracting from helping the mining company. In fact, I would imagine that if it's connecting you with your family, it's augmenting your experience. You're probably going to be able to help the mining company more. It's a dichotomy in a sense that if I was to stick with a goal, I evolved the goal, right? So I changed my definition of what this project is. If I was sticking with a goal of one piece of trash a day, I would actually have to get a car, drive somewhere oh, okay. where there's so, a trash. Uh, you'd have to do lots of stuff. So, but let's reframe it as acting on your environmental values. Mm-hmm. Because I, I try not to, that's part of this leadership. Why focus on leadership is this is not management in the environment. I'm not giving people stuff for them to, I'm trying to avoid as much as possible coercion or seeking compliance. If someone acts on their environmental values, then it will naturally evolve in a way that works for them. So let's just say, okay, so if we reframed it, not as you sticking steadfastly to what you said you would do, but you acting on your environmental values in a personal way, Mm -hmm. does that detract from helping the mining company? It doesn't, but what I'm saying is that it doesn't put in, it doesn't make a difference what you do in your own cleaning of the backyard if that doesn't translate to your business. It's irrelevant. That's why I'm, I'm, I want to focus not on the specific act of what you do, but why you do it. Mm-hmm. If you say, I'm going to act on my values, mm-hmm. and then you say, well, this one doesn't work, but I'm still going to do it, and then you find something else that does work, then you'll eventually find something that does work with your life. In that sense, again, if you are not acting on your value in your professional life, if you think you can separate, if you think that you can be a nice person in your personal life and then go do business that is killing everything off and never bring it up because there is no room for it, you are not acting and living up your values. You actually can make a significant impact at work by just thinking of 
what kind of room do we actually need per person? Because we're heating and cooling and emitting CO2 and other pollutants for every square foot of your room. Can it be a multiple use? Can it be a co-working space? Can we limit our office? Can we stop making people drive to work because they're killing themselves in the waste of traffic and polluting the environment? Can they do their work from home? Tons of that. That's what I'm trying to say, that there, you cannot pretend that this is one part of your life and then this is separate. And I am a good person at home and at work, I just need to deliver my KPIs the way we set them, one per day. You have answered the question that you asked me earlier when I said acting on your values and you said, well, what does acting on your values mean or something like that? And this is what I was talking about. And you doing what you think is right for yourself augments your ability to work with others, not detracts from. Yes, okay. I'll grant that earlier, it may have, if I was talking about acting on your values in a way that makes sense for you, and if you were talking specifically about picking up garbage, then I can see why it would seem like we were talking across purposes. But let us go back to if for you to act on your values for what works for you, and if it doesn't work in this area, you'll figure out in a way, in a way that it does. Is that something that detracts or augments or is indifferent to... It's natural, right? If you don't do that, you become mentally sick. You start feeling that you are uh, in a cognitive dissonance. <laughs> so for me, yes. it's uh, required for survival. It's required for mental and physical health. If you don't act on your values, if you believe that you, ha- if you believe in something and you continuously do something that is against your values, you will get sick, quite literally. So it's a necessity of your personal survival, not just a nice to have, it's a must have. That's why when you started saying, I've I've interrupted you too many times in this conversation. And for that, I apologize. And to the listeners, I apologize as well. When you started to say, when you started to frame acting with the mining company as exclusive to uh, acting in your personal life, and I interrupted you and I was like, wait a minute, is this exclusive or augmenting or I forget exactly how I put it. That's, I knew that, you were going to frame it that way. Okay, if you're framing, strictly speaking, just picking up garbage, yes, that would be interfering. But this is, I think you just said what I'm trying to do and, when, and your ability to do that in your personal life. I read, and tell me if I'm misinterpreting what you said, but that acting on something led to more thinking and more action and more connection with the family and more things. And that's what I'm trying to do here. And so when you're saying, wait, 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 what's wrong with this mining company? You only told me the facts of it. You didn't, all I, like, I'm working with people's emotions and I don't know the, if, if, if the company is strictly going for more profitability in a new way, I can't really say from a, a leadership perspective what's going on. All I know is that they're making more profit and I don't know, that doesn't tell me if they're doing, if there's any personal internal change or if they're acting on their values or they're just, I don't know. And so I can't really say from a leadership perspective how what they're doing makes a difference, I, not, not makes a difference how it bears on leadership. Well, let me, this will be the, because we've been talking more than an hour and I, I'm sure the poor listeners are surviving this conversation with a bit of grit. Uh, let yeah. me say a last thing. So a couple of weeks ago, I was incredibly honored to share a stage. Um, we were two opening keynotes with John Elkington, the creator of Triple Button Line Concert. And John for me is a beautiful example of a person who thinks deeply and acts on his values. And because of that, uh, some time ago, I think a year ago, he wrote an article for Harvard Business Review where he asked to recall the concept. He said in the article, there's almost never that I've seen a, a recall of management concepts. We do recalls of bad, faulty cars, bad, faulty car seats, and so on. But we don't recall management concepts. And I would like to recall my own concept that is 25 years old, triple bottom line, people profit line. And why did he do recall? And we had the most beautiful, really inspiring and moving experience uh, for the event. And it's an organization that is specifically about trade supply chain with purpose. I'm for it, trade with purpose. So it's a trade organization that is trying to embed sustainability through the entire supply chain. And uh, we were planning to have coffee very soon and so on. Love his thinking specifically because he recognized that we continue to think about things as separate. So profit, for example, profit does not exist separately from environment and society. And that's why he wants to do recall because the real sustainability is where the three become one. Profit on its own does not exist. Profit, what 
this profit is a accumulated uh, monetary tools of some sort, cash or something else. But all of those solutions are means of exchange. If we have nothing to exchange, if we destroyed everything and we have nothing to exchange, money and profit has no value because they only have value if there is something worthy of exchange. So the business cannot succeed and be profitable if it's destroying its ability of future exchange of value. And money and profit is the only means of that exchange. So for me, we have to stop thinking in dichotomies where my personal life is separate from my professional life or uh, profit is separate from people or separate from planet. These are the same issues. They are deeply interconnected. And you push a button on the human side it will immediately have an impact environmentally and financially. You push the button financially, you will immediately double click and see it's all environmental and personal and social and human being and the same on the environment. There is no separation between the three. For me, that's the way I see. So what, what was, can you connect that to what we were talking about or what? Yeah, so my point is that no company is ever about profit. Profit is empty. There is no company that can focus on profit only without understanding that if there is no business to do on a dead planet, if there is a dead planet, that profit means nothing. It's empty. You cannot exchange it for anything. Okay. You accumulated tons of profit, but you have absolutely no food to buy with that profit because uh, climate change destroyed our agriculture system. So what is that profit worth? Zero. So in that sense, no company can focus only on profit. And that particular mining company can no focus on profit only. That profit has zero value if there is no future for the planet, if there is no future for the communities. I'm still not clear on what... That's interesting. I don't know. It just sounded like you, you gave some very abstract, an abstract perspective by someone. I'm not sure what... It... I don't know how to make it more concrete. This is a daily life, my life, right? So I... I work at the intersection of business and academia. Working with business, making different decisions in business is a daily effort. So my personal values, most reflective, are not in the way I spent my life with my family, but most of my hours are spent at work. So if my personal values don't show up at work, working with the clients, working with the um, students in academic setting, working with journalists, working with nonprofit projects. If I don't show up my values there, it doesn't matter what I do in my personal life. And that's why I keep bringing up business because business is my daily life. This is my place to show up with values or not. So, I mean, it it feels like it reinforces the view that to ask you to act on your values and is something that augments everything else. Of course, of course it does. And supports and uh, challenges sometimes and makes it a bit more honest, absolutely. So there was that whole, like half this conversation was about a disagreement about, or perhaps a, a talking at cross purposes about, um, when I heard you frame what that acting with the mining company was incomparably more effective than picking up trash, I heard, so what should I have heard? Because I heard you saying, acting on your values was in conflict, acting on your values personally was in conflict with your work. But since then, you've said the opposite. Absolutely not. What I was talking about is I live in a world where there is no trash. So for me to pick up trash, I need to get in the car, drive somewhere, find trash, spend at least 15 minutes to get to the place, driving and polluting to find a piece of trash. And that was incomparably less effective than spending the same half an hour, 15 minutes at my home, pushing a wonderfully challenging and courageous company to stop mining raw materials and start mining waste. So So if I compare that pure definition of the challenge versus this definition of what I can spend the same 15 minutes of, this was much more effective. But in terms of acting on my values, both of those activities were intended to act my values. They're just not maybe the most efficient ways to do that. So this is my takeaway. And there's a lot of takeaways, but this, this is the one thing that I take away from that. And I hope that the listeners are getting this, is that if you feel like doing something in your personal life detracts from 
other bigger things, then instead of looking at the specifics of the action of what you're doing, think of why you wanted to do that and figure out how to act on that in a way that does fit. Pivot. It's very simple. We pivoted. We realized that this is not an effective way to do something meaningful. And we started looking for different ways. So if someone at home is listening to this and thinking, well, I would like to do stuff environmental, but I got family, I got work, so I have to travel and I got this and I got that and all these different things constraining you, then is a takeaway, this would certainly, I would, this is something I want them to get from me. Is it also something that to get from you? Well, don't just stop there. Think of what your goals are, work with the people around you, work with what does work, figure out what you can do and keep doing it. Like don't give up. And that will, and whatever you think that this thing might detract from, in the long run, if you stick with it, it will actually augment those things. In fact, you won't, you'll get sick if you don't. Okay, so now I feel like we had a long talking at cross purposes for, let the listeners know that you're smiling right now and kind of like... Absolutely. Uh, I was smiling right the whole conversation because you see, I don't think disagreement is bad. If we all think the same, one of us is unnecessary. If two of us are having a conversation in which both of us think exactly we weren't the same disagreeing, the whole though. time. Um, <laughs> I, I think I probably... we do. I think if we double click on what you define as leadership and what you define in management and double click on mine, I think we'll find a lot of disagreements. And there's a beauty in that. There is a necessity in that. If you think of nature, the reason why nature survives is because of diversity, is because of there is conflicting views and purposes. The purpose of the deer and the purpose of the wolf in the moment is slightly different. Overall, probably the same, but in the moment is slightly different. And that is the beauty of the balancing act of what nature is. Diversity of thought is crucial. crucial. I don't think that we are disagreeing though. I think that we misinterpreted each other. I thought when I was talking about acting on values, we didn't mean the same thing. Yes, I agree with diversity, of course. And and we come to better decisions when when, when diverse inputs come in. Of course, you have to manage the, the conflict and so forth. But when I heard you say, roughly speaking, and please don't misunderstand me, but when you said something like, I don't have time for picking up garbage, I heard something different than what you said. And when you heard me say acting on your values, you heard something different than what I meant. Most likely. What I think we also were really talking about early on in the conversation is the big leadership around green agenda and what does leadership mean? What does it mean? And what are we talking about? Are we talking about national leadership? Are we talking about world leadership? That's where the example of the mining company came around, is what does leadership look like? What does it, What do we define as leadership? What would, would Oprah's action be more impactful than somebody else's action? Should it be individual? Should it be a government? Should it be business leader? Who should it be? Should it be distributed? So if we double click there, it's a lot of different points of view, but it's a good thing that there are different points of view. I think they're necessary to have different points of view. Well, we've gone full circle back to where we began. Uh, the big lunar landing. Yeah. Uh, partly I'm also, I have to, I'm sensitive that I have to call someone in about two minutes and we're way over, but I, I, I've enjoyed, I mean, it, part, of this, part of this call is I'm experimenting a bit with being a little more involved in the conversations. And because people are saying that like, they want to hear more of, I don't know, the frustrations and the challenges, not just like, oh, everything works. So I appreciate your, your playing along, not playing along, because I didn't tell you that I was doing it, but I, I've been trying to become more, I don't know. Um, and also when we started talking about the gay rights and the LBGBT, LGBTQ lunar landing stuff, it pointed to this big lack. Anyway, so- It's been I, wonderful. I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I'd be curious what the listeners think as well. It's been very honest. That's what we. That's where leadership starts for me. It starts in a number of honest, difficult conversations, and for me, it's a very positive experience. And just getting my family involved in discussing how in the world where is trash and what's going on with trash—that's already a huge gift. So, well, I appreciate your sharing, and I appreciate you. I'm glad to hear it came out in not the usual way that I usually ask about these things, but it it's always happens that when people stick with the stuff, they always involve the people around them. It always becomes, it, it creates community, especially with people's family. And to me now, when I think of acting in the environment, in my head, it used to be all about delicious, but now it's really about connecting with people. It seems like something, anyway. So I'm glad to hear that that worked out for you in that way. I know we'll be in touch and I look Absolutely. forward to hearing how it evolves. And I appreciate your, 
enjoying this. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yash. And this has been very, very helpful and useful and honest. That's the biggest praise. It's been very honest. So thank you. Well, thank you. I think Nadia was being generous, but also genuine about recognizing the process of coming to understanding, which she differentiates from coming to agreement, that that necessitates the kind of conversation that we had. I'm realizing that I have to speak accurately every time I talk about the environment. So many people, including myself, hear what other people say in a rut that they expect the person to be in. And so whether the person falls into that rut or not, they hear them in that rut. So I recognize that even speaking very accurately, people still misunderstand each other, myself as well as anyone. In any case, amid our talk about minds and litter, she took her challenge seriously and didn't give up on it. She acted on her value. Not only did it not detract from other things, on the contrary, it sounded like it built family connections and augmented and contributed to her work life, which is what I expected. So amid everything else, that's one of my big takeaways. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse. And living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.